Ah, sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. We've seen the passing of a very prominent Supreme Court justice earlier this year, Antonin Scalia, and we've heard conservatives weeping and wailing at the loss of Scalia and the impact that they are concerned it will have for religious freedom. But if we're going to understand what that impact might be, we need to understand Scalia's influence on religious freedom. And so here for this discussion today, uh, attorney Nicholas Miller, a professor of church history at Andrews University, director of the Andrews University International Religious Liberty Institute, and my good friend and colleague, Nick. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, as always. Yes, good to be with you, Alan. So, um, your view. Let's do the short version first. Scalia's influence on religious freedom, positive or negative? (laughs) Well... You and I have talked about this over the years, and a few years ago, we would have said that he was a disaster for religious freedom. He was the author of the infamous Employment Division versus Smith decision out of Oregon that significantly undercut uh, the Harvard Law Review said eviscerated the Free Exercise Clause to the First Amendment, making it uh, not applicable to neutral laws, and um, it did a lot of damage to the Free Exercise Clause at the time, which many religious groups tried to pick up the pieces by passing the Religious Freedom Restoration Act and then other kinds of uh, religious freedom restoration uh, pieces of legislation. So let me just remind our listeners, the Free Exercise Clause is the one that protects your right to actually do more than just believe what you're going to believe, but actually to practice your faith, and not just you, but in community as part of a congregation. So that's the one that that really does protect your right to actively practice your religion, freely exercise your religion or your faith. Or at least that's what it used to do. Ah. Uh, And uh, in fact, this was one of the points that uh, Justice Scalia made in his opinion, that really it's only the belief that's fully protected. You know, practice is not. Uh, protected as much or as robustly, he really viewed religious freedom. It's not that he didn't care about religious freedom. He argued that it was important, but that it should be taken care of through the legislative process, uh, that Congress and the legislatures should be the ones protecting religious freedom, not the court. Well, right about now in California, we are finding the legislature is more at war with religious freedom than protective of it. So I don't like that approach. Well, this was the flaw in his thinking. The Founding Fathers put the protection of religious freedom in the court because they are an institution that can stand up against majorities. And so that's the point of a Bill of Rights, is to protect minorities, often unpopular minorities. And so many of us felt that Justice Scalia just misunderstood the philosophy and the theory behind the Bill of Rights and religious freedom, it did, you know, cause many of us consternation for the next uh, decade or so. But lo and behold, 
the secular agenda in America gets much more aggressive, perhaps under the later Clinton years, and then certainly uh, during the Obama years. And I think Justice Scalia began to see that protecting religion and the religious institutions and traditions of the country actually was becoming more important. And uh, he became something of a defender of the rights and prerogatives, at least of religious institutions, if not so much the religious conscience. So at the end, he was one of those who stood up for the traditional views of traditional marriage and some other things that we view as important to religious freedom. So by the time he passed away, we had perhaps some more ambivalent and mixed feelings towards it. Well, so Scalia was protective of religious freedom in the way he interpreted statutory protections that Congress had enacted, right? Yeah, uh, that's true, but he was also quite, I suppose it was his conservative view, he dissented strongly in the Obergefell case, arguing that the court shouldn't be undertaking this kind of social engineering, but this is something that should be uh, done through the legislature. And that was the same-sex marriage case. The same-sex marriage case, correct. Right. So, in the end, he became an important voice on the court to balance out the left-wing views that were going to cause a great deal of difficulty for religion. So it's hard to paint him as a stalwart defender of religious freedom, but perhaps a defender of certain conservative values that religious organizations and people appreciated so that his loss becomes significant, especially if he's going to be replaced by a liberal or a progressive thinker, uh, which will very much tip the balance of the court uh, leftward. Very, very interesting. So are there some more recent decisions that he was involved in besides the same-sex marriage decision that do directly impact religious freedom in a positive way? Well, he was a a defender of a fairly robust view of freedom of speech. And I'm trying to think of the name of the case, but there were some cases involving religion and religious groups and freedom of speech where he was willing to protect a fairly strong view of, of freedom of speech, and that overlapped and helped religion. Well, you know, it's funny you mention that because there was the Westboro Baptist Church case. The court upheld the right to picket uh, a funeral in a rather nasty way. And um, I thought the court got that case wrong because, to me, a funeral in a church is a sacred event and nobody should have the right to um, interfere with a sacred event. Yes, yes, that's a that's a good uh, a good point. Um, you know, it's a, again a balancing between one group's religious freedom interests and another group's speech interests. And uh, maybe you're right that he was coming down on the free speech side. This was part of his Smith opinion, actually, that free exercise rights really didn't matter on their own. With his revisionist reading of the of the court's history. Uh, religious freedom rights only mattered if you combined them with some other right, like freedom of speech or freedom of assembly. Um, I mean, I suppose the unspoken guiding principle in Justice Scalia's life was his uh, background Catholicism. 
And uh, I'm not meaning this as an ad hominem attack, but it's just the reality that at least before Vatican II, the Catholic Church did not have much of an appreciation for the philosophy of individual religious freedom. And I think Justice Scalia's own philosophy dipped back to that Vatican II period where he just had a lot of skepticism about protecting the individual conscience. He was more, I think, in the the Hobby Lobby case, as well as uh, Hosanna Tabor, where a elementary school teacher was designated as a ministerial exempt employee. Scalia, in both those instances, voted to protect the religious organization, but it was to some degree at the expense of the individual. So, again, his philosophy reflects the importance of protecting religious institutions, but not so much, and in fact, at the expense of the individual conscience. And there you have a difference between Catholic and Protestant views of religious freedom. The Catholics are concerned about the autonomy of the the larger church, where Protestants also care about the autonomy of the church, but they also care significantly about the individual and his or her conscience. Well, I think that's a very interesting distinction, and I do think it's valid in terms of Scalia's legacy. As we look ahead, what do you think the difference between a, well, do you see a Supreme Court appointment as a significant issue in the presidential campaign? Well, I think it's becoming more and more perhaps one of the central issues of the campaign, um, especially in light of the advancing what I call secular sexual agenda, uh, where gender distinctions and sexual distinctions are being obviated and religious groups and institutions that care about them are seeing increasing penalties in the public square. If we have an administration that continues in that pathway and unleashes the IRS and the EEOC on religious institutions and colleges and hospitals that want to defend the traditional Christian morality, we are going to have a very difficult time, especially if the Supreme Court is very strongly weighted towards the liberal progressive side. Scalia's loss and replacement by a, a liberal would make all of those issues very, very difficult for people of faith. And I think that uh, increasingly, uh, at least uh, conservatives in America are beginning to see what an important issue this is, which is probably why the Republicans have taken, have staked out uh, what is constitutionally a rather indefensible position that they simply won't uh, permit a vote on an appointee till after the election. Yeah, I, and it's, uh, it's one of those positions that may not be supported by principle or precedent, but it's supported by power. And they just have the ability to block it, and they probably will. I don't see how it can be uh, forced otherwise. So now they're playing a dangerous game because uh, President Obama has put forward a fairly moderate liberal. And if they don't allow this appointment and the Democrats win the election, you can be sure that there will likely be a very, very much more liberal candidate put forward. I think that's certainly true, and uh, I think the current nominee is uh, probably fairly non-ideological. 
Right. Uh, so he's certainly not a staunch conservative, but um, he'd be far more middle of the road than anyone that would be appointed either by a president, Bernie Sanders or Hillary Clinton on the one hand, or uh, a Donald Trump or uh, uh, whoever. Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz yeah. on the other. Sure. Sure. So uh, on balance then, um, if you had to go thumbs up or thumbs down, the overall impact of Justice Scalia on religious freedom. Well, I think I have to do uh, one and a half thumbs down and a half thumb up. How's that? <laughs> oh, you know, we lawyers love the gray area, don't we? It's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. He was a brilliant man, a creative mind, and in his last few years, he was very humanized by his friendship with a liberal justice on the court. Um, justice, uh, oh, now now I'm drawing a blank. Oh, Ginsburg, Justice Ginsburg. Right. A very liberal member of the court. Uh, she and he were uh, the best kind of friends, and it brought out a more caring and gentle side of his soul uh, that many of us wondered existed, and we were glad to see it. We've been discussing the passing of Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia, my guest, Attorney Nick Miller. Nick, thanks as always for being with us on Freedom's Rank. It's always good to be with you, Alan. God bless. As we close, we want to remind listeners that here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk the talk, we offer help to those suffering religious discrimination, especially uh, at the workplace. Do check out our legal resources page at churchstate.com. Dot org. That's www.churchstate.org. And you can now listen to Freedom's Ring anytime you wish on SoundCloud or on iTunes. Check out our SoundCloud radio station. And don't forget, friends, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved. Join the North American Religious Liberty Association today on the web at religiousliberty.info. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.